Welcome back to a week nine edition of when we were supposed to be doing an extensive deep dive into the trade deadline, the repercussions, but you know what? That was quite the snooze of a trade deadline, at least for fantasy purposes. So instead, we'll just do a cursory review of the impactful trades, talk through a little of the best ball landscape, preview the Thursday night football game and this weekend's main slate. Let's get to it right now. Welcome back to the DraftKings Football Show, hosted in partnership with our friends at DraftKings. I'm your host, Justin Herzig, and we are back to talk some football. Okay, trade deadline. I was hopeful. There was murmurs. There was rumors. There was potential. We even had some big injuries. The Kirk Cousins right before. I mean, the Jets still need a quarterback. Like, uh, Falcons need a quarterback. They're benching Ritter. Like, there was just a lot of possibility. Then you've got wide receivers. we got the Denver Broncos wide receivers. We're maybe going to get traded. We've got Hopkins just as just, – I mean, uh, Hopkins having a big game with Levis. A lot of possibility was kind of building up and ended up being quite the snooze of a fantasy – you know, a deadline for fantasy purposes at least. A couple big defensive ones, but – Let's at least touch on the big things with regard to fantasy. So first one, Donovan Peoples-Jones to the Lions. Um, prior to this, I mean, hey, DBJ's highest PPR game was wide receiver 49, despite him running a route on 78% of dropbacks this year. So he was being used. He was getting playtime. He was running routes. He just wasn't getting actual targets. He was not able to convert those few targets into much. So, I'm going to say this is definitely an upgrade for him, even if like the mean outcome isn't too much different, just getting that range of outcomes, getting that new opportunity at least gives us some hope because we have a little more confidence that his role in Cleveland was never going to become any form of fantasy relevance. On the other side of things, you've got Jamison Williams. Jamison Williams, he's been back for four games and he hasn't run a route on more than 50% of routes. And that was his first game back, and it's only kind of gotten a little, you know, up and down. But I mean, with that being his high point, is fifty percent. Saw some very low, saw I think a forty-four percent in there. Uh, but overall, just it's clear he is not developing the way that Detroit Detroit wants him to. He is not at a place right now from a trust, from a you know, from a skill set, from a whatever it is. But Detroit, you can tell it's just not working for him. There's obviously still time. There's a lot of things that can happen, but end of day, I mean, like this can't be considered a positive. Yes, you can say, oh, well, Marvin Jones retired, so maybe that's why they did it. Or uh, you want to get a little more, you know, just more depth on it from a team that's a contender. Um, and hey, you can talk yourself into whatever you want. There's obviously levels of copium, but I think at the end of the day, uh, this is not a good thing for Jamison Williams because if anything, DPJ also plays a very similar kind of stretch the field role as, as Jamison Williams. And if they did have more confidence in him, you know, maybe you go out and grab a different type of player than DPJ, or you just say, Hey, we're happy with Amon Ra. We're happy with Josh Reynolds. We're happy with Jamison Williams. And, um, we'll see, but I, I think, Hey, it's a, at least an opportunity for DPJ to gain a little larger role and a threat to uh, Jamison Williams' breakout. All right, moving on to the Vikings. Joshua Dobbs goes to the Vikings. It's better than nothing. 
it's better than going with a rookie. And uh, obviously, like there was hope from a fantasy perspective that if Jamison Williams goes there, if uh, Ryan Tannehill would have gotten traded there. But with Joshua Dobbs, like, yes, hey, below average QB in all stats, but he's at least willing to throw and he's at least willing to sling that ball. His A dot for the year is right at eight, which is the same as Lamar and Tua. So not actually the worst from a, hey, having that willingness to throw. We've seen him lock on Marquise Brown and just pepper him with targets. Unfortunately, they weren't the most valuable or uh, accurate targets. Um, But, you know, hey, at least he's willing to throw. From a Jefferson, Addison, Hawkinson standpoint, we know that Joshua Dobbs threw to the tight ends in Arizona more than just about any other quarterback. So that could be a Cardinal scheme thing. That could be Dobbs really liking that security blanket, um, the you know more safer kind of underneath of the tight ends. Maybe that's beneficial for TJ Hawkinson. I expect that his average as a target is going to go down a little bit, but maybe he still gets the actual target volume, which would be pretty valuable for him. Um, my overall take is that I think like, hey, all Vikings players are taking a hit here, but I don't think they're dead. I think there's a chance that it actually hurts Justin Jefferson a little more than Addison because, hey, as soon as Joshua Dobbs probably came into Minnesota the past couple of days, already starts getting practices, already starts building a rapport with Jordan Addison. It's going to take longer for that to develop with Justin Jefferson because of the injury. So maybe there's a chance that that gap between the two isn't as large going forward. And hopefully Josh Dobbs can develop a quick little rapport with Jordan Addison that he can carry forward. And then obviously Justin Jefferson jumping on the field will just be an overall help to the offense. The other one that I want to note is from an overall win, I think when you think of like, hey, the inaction, how did who did that help? And I think the Ravens skill players are probably the number one. They're the ones that were linked the most to potential trades. We heard potentially Derrick Henry, heard potentially Josh Jacobs. Um, maybe there was a chance they would have considered something like a Jerry Judy or another wide receiver, given the lack of, I don't want to say lack of depth, but lack of kind of breakout or kind of uh, trusted players beyond Zay Flowers and Mark Andrews. Uh, but overall, I mean, hey, so first off, Gus Edwards, he even came out this week, says he's ready to take a full load. And uh, we saw him with the three touchdown game last week. Them not bringing in another running back at least gives Gus Edwards a, uh, I think a pretty solid role going forward. Definitely has that red zone work and is the more kind of ground and pounder with Justice Hill being a bit more of a reliever, a uh, pass catcher from third downs and so forth. And then from a pass catcher, Zay Flowers. I mean, so Mark Andrews' role was never really in jeopardy if they were going to make a trade. But if they did bring a trade in for a wide receiver, then Zay Flowers maybe loses or shares that alpha role. So I think here he's going to get, retain that alpha role. And then behind him, it's at least interesting with Rashad Bateman. Lamar in his press conference earlier this week said that Bateman deserves and needs to get more play. Harbaugh didn't really give as strong of an answer when asked about it. He was just like, everybody needs to get more snaps. And uh, when they start playing well and they're catching, they're doing the right things, they're going to get more uh, use and there's going to be variance between games and so forth. So his was a bit more of a, um, you know, maybe it's a political one or maybe he just doesn't have the level of confidence that Lamar has, or at least once in Bateman. But I think it's at least a positive Considering what we've seen out of Rashad Bateman, he is getting a little more play going forward, and it's good to at least like have his QB be his squeaky wheel. Everybody needs a everybody needs a, a hype. Uh, everyone needs a hype man. Okay, 
Moving on, a couple other non-fantasy implications, such as the Bears seemingly wasting that early second-round pick to get edge rusher Montez Sweat. And then uh, 49ers also strengthened their D-line, giving up a third for Chase Young. Um, nothing too really impactful here from a fantasy standpoint, um, but those were obviously the noteworthy um, other two trades. Okay, let's do a quick little best ball talk. If you take a look at my Twitter uh, yesterday, Wednesday, November 1st, I published a, a chart, looks like a draft board that includes the ADP of every player that was being drafted and shows what the current advance rates are. I think it's an interesting way to kind of take a view on where there were hits, where there were misses, but also you can see how much like a miss in round 12, 13 differs from a miss in the early rounds. So starting off, we can look at highest advance rate players here. Not surprising, top three are all Dolphins. You've got Raheem Mostert at 48%, Tyree Kill at 42.6%, and Devon Achan at 37.1%. After that, we've got Etienne at 36% and Zach Moss at 34.8%. So that is what, three running, four running backs and Tyree Kill. Um, and you've got a couple later guys. You've got Tyreek and Etienne in the early parts of drafts. A lot of that is just how many points or uh, how many... How, how big are your spike weeks and how many times are you really putting up produce um, meaningful weeks to really get that high advance rate for the lower advance rates players? Some of these might surprise you. Lowest on the board, Austin Eckler at 5.6%. After that is Cooper Cup at 6.6%. Deshaun Watson at 7.8%. Joe Burrow 8.6%. And Amari Cooper at 8.9%. I think this shows you that low advance rate players are all about opportunity cost. Cost uh, Austin Eckler and you know um, Cooper Cup, they were first rounders, and so if you were drafting them, not only were you getting you know you've gotten a bunch of duds out of both of them, mostly because of injury, but still you were missing out on Tyreek, Christian McCaffrey, AJ Brown, Stephon Diggs, and so it's not too surprising when you see that hey, like five point six six point six, the two lowest are just those early rounds. We've had guys who have missed the entire year. We've had someone like Nick Chubb who uh, only played, what, one and a half games, and they still have higher advance rate because a lot of it comes down to that opportunity cost. Also noticed that, hey, two of the QBs uh, in that bottom five, but they're a fourth and an eighth rounder, which is relatively early for QBs. You know, even a guy like Aaron Rodgers, who hasn't contributed a point to your lineups, he only has a 10% advance rate because he was an 11th rounder. And if you look at the other guys that are being drafted in the 11th rounder, you either kind of hit hard on someone like a Raheem Mostert or overall, most of those were misses. So your miss on Aaron Rodgers isn't as bad of a miss as others, assuming you still have solid roster construction and you didn't, you know, and, and your other QB or QBs on your team are doing well or at least staying healthy. Um, I think the whole quarterback discussion is really interesting. So if you look at the QBs, Jalen Hurts is sitting at 28.4%. Josh Allen is 29.7%. Those are very high advance rates, um, substantially higher than what you have from Lamar and Mahomes during that or is it same areas. But a lot of that is because of the consistency of those two, while Lamar and Mahomes have each had some a few rough games mixed in there. Uh, and the way that things are kind of unfolding now, I actually expect the gap to widen with so many of these mid late QBs are just crashing, crashing. I mean, if we go starting at the back of the draft, 
Uh, Desmond Ritter and Jimmy G both being benched. Ryan Tannehill hurt now might be benched with Will Levis kind of taking the development. Uh, Matthew Stafford's day to day likely hurt this week. Kenny Pickett and Danny Dimes they've been hurt recently. They're both just coming back this week. Um, Aaron Rodgers, Kirk Cousins, Anthony Richardson are out for the year. Deshaun Watson he's been hurt. We don't know when he's coming back. Like so much of the value of grabbing an elite QB this year has really just been a bit of, I think there's, there's two core things that come into it. Because really, if you look at the, how the top QBs have been doing, they're not otherworldly. It's not as good as last year, but why, especially those two have such great advance rates is one, the opportunity cost. If you didn't take him, who were the other people being taken around him? A lot of them were these underperforming wide receivers like Devonte Smith and T Higgins Jalen Waddell, or maybe some of the running backs like Tony Pollard that have really not produced. So you've got the opportunity cost aspect. And then the second is if you were grabbing one of those QBs, you weren't loading up on the later quarterbacks. And the people who missed out on those QBs were going two, three mid lates. And a lot of those just from injuries aspects, or maybe the benchings are not, you know, not producing for you. And so, yes, the luck aspect, maybe you can say that, Jalen Hurts and Josh Allen being such larger, stronger guys, like they're a little less likely to get hurt. Maybe there's some validity to it. I mean, hey, Anthony Richardson also got hurt. Granted, how you run and how you take tackles, like it all comes into it. I think overall, like, yes, there's a small aspect of that, but mostly there's also just some luck. And uh, if those top QBs, those top four can really stay healthy, um, we're going to see a very, very interesting landscape going into next year's best ball where these QBs are going to look really, really strong this year, even if they maybe didn't produce as well last year, but just from that opportunity cost and the comparison to health wise to the other quarterbacks that are out there. Okay. Well, yeah, it's, it's ugly. It's ugly. And a uh, hey, lot of season to go, but leak QB definitely looking strong. Speaking of ugly, we have quite the unappealing matchup tonight between Will Levis and his Titans and Kenny Pickett and the Steelers. Steelers are two and a half point home favorites sitting with a four and three record. They are still not quite at full strength on offense. They're still missing Pat Fryermuth, but they're starting to look healthier. Return of Kenny Pickett tonight. Deontay Johnson is getting his increased role as he's looking to be looking like healthy again as well. Um, on the Titan side, Will Levis gets his second NFL start. He's coming off that four TD game with three of those to DeAndre Hopkins last week. Pittsburgh's given up the fourth most points to opposing wide receivers. So I'm looking to Hopkins to have another strong game. Looking at some bets, I like Hopkins over 54 and a half receiving yards and would be considering some of the alternate yardage bets there as well. I really don't have any confidence in any of the other wide receivers, even with the plus matchup. When you look at the routes run, you're just not getting enough consistency out of anyone. <sighs> Sorry, Traylon Burks. Hopefully he can make it, but it's not looking great. But I will say Chigun Huanquo has had the target shares the last three games of 25%, 21%, 24%. He does play downfield. Um, you can get some big plays out of him because he is quite an athlete. And if I'm looking at bets, you can get him for 40-plus receiving yards at plus 210 on DraftKings. I really like that for Chick this week. As for showdown, pricing-wise, pretty generous for the Steelers. And so optimals are really pushing you to build a bunch of 5-1 and 4-2 lineups in favor of the Steelers. 
while this is kind of from a mean standpoint and the most likely standpoint, I'm building around the other side and taking advantage of those wider range of options with Will Levis at QB. So give me Levis, DeAndre Hopkins, Chig, and Derrick Henry and get creative with those other two spots. I've already started building a few lineups and there's a few I definitely like, especially when you put Chig in that captain. And uh, hey, all you need is one touchdown, one big play out of him. And he is the type of tight end that is getting the usage and has the athleticism to actually have that kind of breakout game. Um I like it. I like it. Okay. Looking ahead to the weekend. First, the good news. Should be a pretty fun weekend. We've got Chiefs playing the Dolphins. We've got Bengals playing the Bills. We've got Cowboys playing the Eagles. Three great games. Okay. Now the bad news. Only the Cowboys and Eagles is on the main slate. Every other game this weekend on that main slate has a total of 41 points or lower. Chiefs and Dolphins is in Germany. So wake up in the morning. You to watch that. Bengals, Bills, Sunday evening. We start the day with a good game. We end the day with a good game. And uh, I don't know. There's like some spam in the middle of that sandwich. Maybe a little bologna. It is not that tasty. But we play DFS. We play fantasy. We got to figure out what are some angles. And uh, I think no question, Cowboys and Eagles game is going to be very chalky in tournaments. Jalen Hurts is likely to be the play, you know highest played QB in cash and in tournaments. You're going to be stacking him with AJ Brown. That's the way that most people are really going to play it, and you really can't fault people given I mean what that connection has done this year, the um, record that AJ Brown is going for with 125 plus yard games in a row. So for me, it's a question of if you play them. How do you get unique elsewhere? Or if you're going to fade them, do you fade the entire game or you do kind of try to pick other pieces that'll hit instead of those? Over the years, I've really I've kind of shifted my position on this topic a bit. I used to heavily try and get leverage off of them by playing the running back and being like, hey, I trust Vegas. This is a strong game environment. There's definitely shootout potential. But if I'm trying to get off the chalk stack, maybe I go play that running back. And uh, there you're getting leverage, especially if it's a running back who's not a pass catcher, you're getting leverage off the QB, off the wide receiver. I think this still kind of works if it's the right matchup, if it's the right, and especially if you're on another site like Vandal where, hey, it's more touchdown importance. But given a DraftKings scoring with the bonuses, with the PPR, you're really going for, hey, if this is a positive game environment, I mean, it's a little, it's just less likely that only that one run player, only that running back really hits. Um, and especially we're looking at Jalen's role. I mean, it's just so strong around the goal line with the tush push. And so it doesn't really make it feasible or something desirable for me. You could play Devante instead of AJB, but, um, instead of, you know, instead of going with the AJ Brown side of things, but I think that's being played more often than it is actually likely to hit. So for me, I'm either eating that chalk and finding uniqueness elsewhere maybe going with a double stack and then really going cheap elsewhere or just find some other kind of, uh, you know, less chalky plays, or I'm just going to fade the entire Eagles team. And most likely that means fading the entire game. So still thinking through that one, but at least wanted to share like where my current thought process is on that. And then I think the second most popular game that people are going to be attacking is this Seattle, Seattle at Baltimore game. I am. People may not want to run back the Lamar Flowers stack that got, you know, probably burned them last week, but I think Lamar Andrews will continue to be pretty popular as well. You know, some people may be going down that narrative street that I talked about. Maybe they want to play Rashad Bateman, give them the Lamar press conference. Possibly. I don't know. Not something I'll be doing. I think it's a little too light, but I can see it happening. All right. 
when I think about this game, I think the challenge for me around this one is I think that Ravens defense is very, very good. And I just don't trust that the Seahawks are going to be able to really do much against them. And then there's the whole aspect of the Seahawks just spread the ball so much. I mean, you've got four wide receivers that are legitimately in play with DK, with Lockett, with Bobo, with JSN. Now on the running back side of things, Charbonnet had his biggest game. Then um, then we start seeing coaching actually pumping up um, Kenny, Char- Kenny Charbonnet even more. I mean, I'm combining Kenneth Walker, um, Charbonnet even more. And then you still obviously have Kenneth Walker. So there's just a lot of kind of how do you hit it correctly combined with, I think that it's a very difficult matchup against the Ravens. So I'm not sure what is, you know, what's the play there when one side's kind of chalky with the Ravens, the other side, I don't even love, and I'm not sure where to hit it. I think most likely this is going to be an example of a game that's probably overplayed simply because people just don't have other options. And it's such an ugly weekend. And they're like, Hey, I want to get off the Jalen hurts. Okay, so I'll go to Lamar, I'll play Lamar Andrews, and then, you know, just figure it out. I think I'll probably be avoiding this game, and that leaves me with, okay, so I played the Eagles game, and I try to figure out some uniqueness aspects to it, or I look elsewhere, and the one other game that I like the most when I'm getting out the chalk, I've been playing with is Chicago at New Orleans. So Chicago's given up the fifth most points to opposing quarterbacks, and we know how much the Saints want to sling it question kind of becomes can the bears keep up with the saints and really push them to keep passing uh if you look at the last three games so when Derek carr slung at those 50 plus times in back-to-back games those were both in losses to the texans and jags they were kind of pressured and forced to throw it a bunch last week it was a close game throughout but carr only had to throw it 27 times a lot of it was due to his efficiency he turned those 27 pass attempts into 310 yards and they they you know they won against indianapolis so if this is going to be a blowout, I just don't expect Derek Carr to need to be slinging it as much. So we want Chicago to really at least keep this a game. Where I'm leaning is, especially for smaller tournaments, going with a full onslaught here. You can go Carr, you can go Kamara, and then probably two of the three wide receivers. You've got Alave at 6,300, Michael Thomas at 4,700, Rashid Shahid at 4,500. Um, I like all those. I'd probably lean for the Alave and maybe MT this week because people are maybe you know, jumping on the Sheehy bandwagon after his big game last week. But I think you could any two of those three. And then the other side of it, I do, as I said, I want them to be able to push the ball. So someone needs to have some success on that side. Cole Komet is the one I'm looking at. He led the team in targets for Tyson Bajant uh, with 10 last week. Um, and hey, Tight end is always a difficult position. So if you find some form of correlation that can really um, fit into your lineup's narrative, I'm all for it. Okay. That is all for today. I hope everyone has a great weekend. Hopefully tonight isn't too much of a snooze fest, but if it is, at least we've got some solid island games this weekend. Best of luck in everything you guys have going on. And hey, if you're enjoying the show, I greatly appreciate it. You could share with a friend. Share it on Twitter, share some love love with a quick review, whatever you will, and I appreciate it. Thanks, and I will see you all Monday for a recap of the week. Best of luck. Later.